Book the Second, Part Five of A Laodicean by Thomas Hardy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Simon Evers. Book the Second, Part Five. Anybody who had closely considered to dare at this time would have discovered that, shortly after the arrival of the Royal Horse Artillery at Markton Barracks, he gave up his room at the inn at Sleeping Green and took permanent lodgings over a broker's shop in the town above mentioned. The peculiarity of the rooms was that they commanded a view lengthwise of the barrack lane, along which any soldier, in the natural course of things, would pass either to enter the town, to call at Myrtle Villa, or to go to Stancy Castle. Dare seemed to act as if there were plenty of time for his business. Some few days had slipped by when, perceiving Captain de Stancy walk past his window and into the town, Dare took his hat and cane and followed in the same direction. When he was about fifty yards short of Myrtle Villa, on the other side of the town, he saw de Stancy enter its gate. Dare mounted a star beside the highway and patiently waited. In about twenty minutes de Stancy came out again and turned back in the direction of the town till Dare was revealed to him on his left hand. When de Stancy recognised the youth, he was visibly agitated, though apparently not surprised. Standing still a moment, he dropped his glance upon the ground, and then came forward to Dare, who, having alighted from the stile, stood before the captain with a smile. "'My dear lad,' said de Stancy, much moved by recollections. He held Dare's hand for a moment in both his own, and turned askance. "'You're not astonished,' said Dare, still retaining his smile, as if to his mind there was something comic in the situation. "'I knew you were somewhere near. Where do you come from?' "'From going to and fro in the earth and walking up and down in it, as Satan said to his maker. Southampton last, in common speech. "'Have you come here to see me?' "'Tarly, I divined that your next quarters would be Markton.' the previous batteries that were at your station having come on here. I wanted to see you badly. You have? I am rather out of cash. I've been knocking about a good deal since you last heard from me. I will do what I can again. Thanks, Captain. But, Willie, I'm afraid it will not be much at present. You know I am as poor as a mouse. But such as it is, could you write a cheque for it now? I will send it to you from the barracks. I have a better plan. By getting over this stile, we could go round at the back of the villas to Sleeping Green Church. There is always a pen and ink in the vestry, and we can have a nice talk on the way. It would be unwise for me to appear at the barracks just now. That's true. Sansi sighed, and they were about to walk across the fields together. No, said Dare, suddenly stopping. My plans make it imperative that we should not run the risk of being seen in each other's company for long. Walk on, and I will follow you. You can stroll into the churchyard and move about it as if you were ruminating on the epitaphs. There are some with excellent morals. I'll enter by the other gate, and we can meet easily in the vestry room. The statue looked gloomy and was on the point of acquiescing when he turned back and said, Why should your photograph be shown to the chief constable? By whom? Somerset the architect. He suspects you're having broken into his office, or something of the sort. Stancy briefly related what Somerset explained to him at the dinner table. It was merely diamond cut diamond between us on an architectural matter. 
murmured Dare. Oh, when he suspects, that's his remedy. I hope this is nothing serious, asked Tostancy gravely. I peeped at his drawing, that's all. But as he chooses to make that use of my photograph, which I gave him in friendship, I'll make use of his in a way he little dreams of. Well now, let's on. A quarter of an hour later, they met in the vestry of the church at Sleeping Green. I have only just transferred my account to the bank here, said De Stancy as he took out his checkbook, and it will be more convenient to me at present to draw but a small sum. I will make up the balance afterwards. When he had written it, Dare glanced over the paper and said briefly, It is small, Dad. Well, there is all the more reason why I should broach my scheme with a view to making such documents larger in the future. I shall be glad to hear of any such scheme, answered Destancy with a languid attempt of jocularity. And here it is. The plan I have arranged for you is of the nature of a marriage. You are very kind, said Destancy agape. The lady's name is Miss Paula Power, who, as you may have heard since your arrival, is in absolute possession of her father's property and estates, including Stancy Castle. As soon as I heard of her, I saw what a marvellous match it would be for you and your family. It would make a man of you, in short, and I have set my mind upon your putting no objection in the way of its accomplishment. But, Willie, it seems to me that of us two it is you who exercise paternal authority. True, it is for your good. Let me do it. Well, one must be indulgent under the circumstances, I suppose, but, added to Stancy simply, Willie, I, I don't want to marry, you know. I've lately thought that some day we may be able to live together, you and I, go off to America or New Zealand, where we are not known, and there lead a quiet, pastoral life, defying social rules and troublesome observances. I can't hear of it, Captain replied Dare reprovingly. I am what events have made me, and having fixed my mind upon getting you settled in life by this marriage, I have put my thoughts in train for it at an immense trouble to myself. If you thought over it at nights as much as I have, you would not say nay. But I ought to have married your mother, if anybody, and as I have not married her, the least I can do in respect to her is to marry no other woman. You have some sort of duty to me, have you not, Captain de Stancy? Yes, Willie, I admit that I have, the elder replied reflectively, and I don't think I've failed in it thus far. This will be the crowning proof. Paternal affection, family pride, the noble instincts to reinstate yourself in the castle of your ancestors, all demand the step. When you have seen the lady, she has the figure and motions of a sylph, the face of an angel, the eye of love itself. What a sight she is crossing the lawn on a sunny afternoon, or gliding airily along the corridors of the old place that Estancies knew so well. Her lips are the softest, reddest, most distracting things you ever saw. Her hair is as soft as silk, and of the rarest, tenderest brown. The captain moved uneasily. Don't take the trouble to say more, Willie, he observed. You know how I am. My cursed susceptibility to these matters has already wasted years of my life, and I don't want to make myself a fool about her, too. You must see her. No, don't let me see her, Destancy expostulated. If she's only half so good-looking as you say, she will drag me at her heels like a blind Samson. 
You are a mere youth as yet. But I may tell you that the misfortune of never having been my own master, where a beautiful face was concerned, obliges me to be cautious if I would preserve my peace of mind. Well, to my mind, Captain Destancy, your objections seem trivial. Are those all? They are all I care to mention just now to you. Captain, can there be secrets between us? Destancy paused and looked at the lad as if his heart wished to confess what his judgment feared to tell. There should not be on this point, he murmured. Then tell me, why do you so much object to her? I once vowed a vow. A vow? said Dare, rather disconcerted. A vow of infinite solemnity. I must tell you from the beginning. Perhaps you are old enough to hear it now, though you have been too young before. Your mother's life ended in much sorrow, and it was occasioned entirely by me. In my regret for the wrong done her, I swore to her that, though she had not been my wife, no other woman should stand in that relationship to me, and this to her was a sort of comfort. When she was dead, my knowledge of my own plaguy impressionableness, which seemed to be ineradicable, as it seems still, led me to think what safeguards I could set over myself with a view to keeping my promise to live a life of celibacy. And among other things, I determined to forswear the society, and if possible the sight, of women young and attractive, as far as I had the power to do. It is not so easy to avoid the sight of a beautiful woman if she crosses your path, I should think. It is not easy, but it is possible. How? By directing your attention another way. Or do you mean to say, Captain, that you could be in a room with a pretty woman who speaks to you and not look at her? I do. Though mere looking has less to do with it than mental attentiveness, allowing your thoughts to flow out in her direction to comprehend her image. But it would be considered very impolite not to look at the woman or comprehend her image. It would, and is. I am considered the most impolite officer in the service. I've been nicknamed the man with the averted eyes, the man with the detestable habit, the man who greets you with his shoulder, and so on. Ninety and nine fair women at the present moment hate me like poison and death for having persistently refused to plumb the depths of their offered eyes. How can you do it who are by nature courteous? I cannot always. I break down sometimes. But upon the whole, recollection holds me to it dread of a lapse. Nothing is so potent as fear well maintained. Mustansi narrated these details in a grave, meditative tone, with his eyes on the wall, as if he were scarcely conscious of a listener. But haven't you reckless moments, Captain, when you have taken a little more wine than usual, for instance? I don't take wine. Oh, you are a teetotaler. Not a pledge one. But I don't touch alcohol unless I get wet or anything of that sort. Don't you sometimes forget this vow of yours to my mother? No, I wear a reminder. What is that like? Stancy held up his left hand, on that finger of which appeared an iron ring. Dare surveyed it, saying, Yes, I've seen that before, though I never knew why you wore it. Well, I wear a reminder also but of a different sort. 
he threw open his shirt-front, and revealed, tattooed on his breast, the letters Dostancy, the same marks which Havre had seen in the bedroom by the light of the moon. The captain rather winced at the sight. Well, well, he said hastily, that's enough. Now, at any rate, you understand my objection to know Miss Power. But, Captain, said the knight, coaxing me as he fastened his shirt, you forget me and the good you may do me by marrying. Surely that's a sufficient reason for a change of sentiment. This inexperienced sweet creature owns the castle and estate which bears your name, even to the furniture and pictures. She is the possessor of at least forty thousand a year. How much more I cannot say. While buried here in outer Wessex, she lives at the rate of twelve hundred in her simplicity. It is very good of you to set this before me. But I prefer to go on as I am going. While I won't bore you any more with her today, a monk in regimentals, tis strange. There arose and was about to open the door, when looking through the window, Captain Stancy said, Stop. He had perceived his father, Sir William de Stancy, walking among the tombstones without. Yes, indeed, said Dare, turning the key in the door. It would look strange if he were to find us here. As the old man seemed indisposed to leave the churchyard just yet, they sat down again. What a capital card-table this green cloth would make, said Dare, as they waited. You play, Captain, I suppose? Very seldom. The same with me, but as I enjoy a hand of cards with a friend, I don't go unprovided. Saying which, Dare drew a pack from the tail of his coat. Shall we while away this leisure with the witching things? Really, I'd rather not. But, coaxed the young man, I am in the humour for it, so don't be unkind. But, Woody, why do you care for these things? Cards are harmless enough in their way, but I don't like to see you carrying them in your pocket. It isn't good for you. It was by the merest chance I had them. Now come, just one hand, since we are prisoners. I want to show you how nicely I can play. I won't corrupt you. Of course not, said de Stancy, as if ashamed of what his objection implied. You're not corrupt enough yourself to do that, I should help. The cards were dealt, and they began to play. Captain de Stancy abstractedly, with his eyes mostly straying out of the window upon the large yew, whose boughs as they moved were distorted by the old green window panes. It is better than doing nothing, said Dare cheerfully, as the game went on. I hope you don't dislike it. Not if it pleases you, said de Stancy listlessly. The consecration of this place does not extend further than the Isle Wall. Doesn't it? said de Stancy, as he mechanically played out his cards. What became of that box of books I sent you with my last cheque? Well, as I hadn't time to read them, and as I knew you would not like them to be wasted, I sold them to a bloke who peruses them from morning till night. Ah, now you have lost a fiver altogether. How queer! You've doubled the stakes. So, as I was staying, just at the time the books came, I got an inkling of this important business, and literature went to the wall. Important business? What? A capture of this lady, to be sure. Stacy sighed impatiently. I wish you were less calculating and had more of the impulse natural to your years. Game, by Jove! You've lost a game, Captain. 
That makes, let me see, £9.15 to square us. I owe you that, said Nostantia, startled. It is more than I have in cash. I must write another cheque. Never mind. Make it payable to yourself, and our connection will be quite unsuspected. Captain Nostantia did as requested, and rose from his seat. Sir William, though further off, was still in the churchyard. How can you hesitate for a moment about this girl? said Dare, pointing to the bent figure of the old man. Think of the satisfaction it would be to him to see his son within the family walls again. It should be a religion with you to compass such a legitimate end as this. Well, well, I'll think of it, said the captain with an impatient laugh. You are quite a Mephistopheles, Will. I say it to my sorrow. Would that I were in your place. Would that you were. Fifteen years ago I might have called the chance a magnificent one. If you are a young man still, and you look younger than you are, nobody knows our relationship, and I am not such a fool as to divulge it. Of course, if through me you reclaim this splendid possession, I shall leave it to your feelings what you would do for me. Sir William had by this time cleared out of the churchyard, and the pair emerged from the vestry and departed. Proceeding towards Markton by the same bypath, they presently came to an eminence covered with bushes of blackthorn and tufts of yellowing fern. From this point, a good view of the woods and glades about Stancy Castle could be obtained. There stood still on the top and stretched out his finger. The captain's eye followed the direction and he saw above the many-hued foliage in the middle distance the towering keep of Paula's castle. That's the goal of your ambition, Captain. Ambition, do I say? Most righteous and dutiful endeavour. How the hoary shape catches the sunlight. It is the raison d'etre of the landscape, and its possession is coveted by a thousand hearts. Surely it is an hereditary desire of yours. You must make a point of returning to it, and appearing in the map of the future as in that of the past. I delight in this work of encouraging you and pushing you forward towards your own. You're really very clever, you know. But, I say it with respect, how comes it you want so much waking up? Because I know the day is not so bright as it seems, my boy. However, you make a little mistake. If I care for anything on earth, I do care for that old fortress of my forefathers. I respect so little among the living that all my reverence is for my own dead. But manoeuvring, even for my own, as you call it, is not in my line. It is distasteful, it is positively hateful to me. Well, well, let it stand thus for the present. But will you refuse me one little request, merely to see her? I'll contrive it so that she may not see you. Don't refuse me, it is the one thing I ask, and I shall think it hard if you deny me. Oh, Will, said the captain warily, why would you plead so? No, even though your mind is particularly set upon it, I cannot see her, or bestow a thought upon her, much as I should like to gratify you. End of Book the Second, Part Five